Welcome to Preheated, kitchen wisdom and friendly chat from two friends who love to bake. I'm Andrea Ballard in Olympia, Washington. And I'm Stefan Cohn in London. Every week, we celebrate the successes, failures, learning, and laughs that go hand-in-hand with baking for those we love. Today, we'll find out if our favorite preheated dessert standby, banana bread, is ripe for a makeover. And since my husband is having a birthday, I'm trying out a new dessert with his favorite ingredient, peanut butter. Finally, we'll share some of the ways you can prepare and care for kids leaving home this fall. So grab yourself some coffee and get ready for some sweet talk. Andrea, we have often talked over the seasons about our love of finding vintage cookbooks in little free libraries or at thrift stores, or indeed, you once talked about your cookbook swap. Oh, yes. Well, this summer I had an experience that reminded me that vintage magazines can be just as fun. Oh, I love vintage magazines like Women's Day or Family Circle from the 50s. Oh, those are very vintage. Yes, I love that too. And you can find them sometimes very readily also in those locations. If someone is cleaning out their basement or their attic, you'll find, you know, many stacks. And when I was back in the Pacific Northwest this summer, we came across it wasn't a little free library. It was bigger than that. Like a little free library room, okay. not the hutch. Yes. Gotcha. But the philosophy was the same, like take one, leave one. Mm-hmm. And someone had clearly cleaned out about 10 years worth of Martha Stewart Everyday Magazine. Are you familiar with that one? Oh, and that was the little yes. square one. Yes. It was sort of a pocketbook size, and I loved it. It was like Reader's Digest mm-hmm. size. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. That was not one that I had a lot of experience with, but at that point in our vacation, I was down to, you know, like one book. I was starting to get (laughs) panicky, (laughs) and I just took a bunch of those everyday food magazines, and they were probably, I don't know, 10 years old, Mm -hmm. but it reminded me that so much of food and food trends, it does not change. Recipes that were good in 1997 are probably still great in 2007 or 2017. And just a reminder to me that I should thumb through a few when I am at the thrift store or I am at the Little Free Library. I got some great new to me recipes that, you know, have stood the test of time. So that is just my PSA for showing some magazine love. Yeah, those Martha Stewart Everyday Food magazines, I'll give a little shout out for because I don't know that they marketed themselves as five ingredients or less or 30 minutes or less, but I felt like a lot of the recipes fell under those categories. Yeah. I know I used to pick them up when I was standing in line at the grocery store. They would be on the racks right by the conveyor belt when you were loading your items. Yeah, Right by checkout. Yes. Recently, I was kind of missing those. And that's when I, you know, realized like, well, gosh, they've gone out of print. Yeah. But they do have the cookbooks at my local library. And I'm sure our listeners could find those cookbooks as well. So if you look up the Martha Stewart Everyday Food Cookbooks, I think there's two of them. 
oh that's great to know yeah I mean she has so many Mm -hmm. cookbooks just all of all genres absolutely but oh yeah yeah you know it's not one that I regularly read although you guys know I'm the world's biggest fan of print magazines so it's just it was really a delight to dip back into it and then going back to your earlier point about really old magazines vintage magazines they can just be fun and hilarious to read in the same way that an old cookbook is you know you're not really maybe going to make something out of five seasons of cranberry but it sure is fun to read (laughs) and if you don't know what I'm talking about five seasons of cranberry I'll put a link in the show notes Yeah, no, the articles in the really old magazines, the ones from the 50s and the 60s, are the ones that just crack me up. So I'll see. I might have a couple on hand. I know my mother-in-law, listener Rosemary, has a ton of beautiful old magazines. And when I visit her house, sometimes I'll go through and page through those. And I love looking at the ads. You know, you can see that this gorgeous set of Pyrex was like, you know, $1.99 for (laughs) – a, a dinnerware set of four or something like that. And then the articles are great. The recipes, I agree with you, they're not always the best. We we have evolved a bit away from, you know, how we used to cook back then, but it's still fun to read. And, you know, Andrea, speaking of little free libraries and vintage books, I scored a great one this summer when I was home. I got a copy of The Cake Bible by Rose Levy Birnbaum. Oh, nice. That one's great. That's a classic. It was a find. Yeah, I can't believe I didn't have it. I know many of our listeners love that one. You love that one. And it's, yeah, now it's mine. And it was it was totally free. So love that. So exciting. Well, one thing that popped up in our Facebook listeners group this summer that I thought was fascinating was some of these new flowers that are coming out on the market. Oh, yes. So listener Holly posted first, and she had a picture of banana flower. <laughs> And then Jennifer chimed in, and she had apple flower, and I believe it was coffee flower. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And so I had seen both of those and thought, well, that's kind of interesting. I wonder what's going on there. And then I happened to be in a Whole Foods shortly thereafter, and there on the shelf was an even more different one and unusual that I had never seen, and it was cauliflower flower. <laughs> <laughs> so is this true flower to which these flavors or additives have been added back or is it some kind of processing that makes it flour like I believe it is the processing of the ingredients to make it flour like and to use it as a flour substitute Mm -hmm. okay I do think a reason a lot of these flours are coming into popularity is because of people who like to eat paleo and people who like to eat gluten-free yeah both of those diets are not going to allow for a traditional flour so sure I have not used any of these I am curious if anyone has on how they've turned out. They're a little bit spendy, so I was hesitant to just buy some willy-nilly. But if anyone has used them and has had some good success, please do post or send us a message and tell us if you just sub it one for one or how it works and most importantly, how it tastes. Well, I mean, you and I have both experimented in the past with garbanzo bean flour, which for a long time was one of the only alternative flours out there for folks who were gluten-free or paleo or on other restricted diets. And we weren't big fans because we thought it tasted too beanie. No. So I'm fascinated by these other flavors because it's not only an alternative flour, but it could be a flavor booster. Oh, exactly. I mean, I didn't like that garbanzo bean flour that I used. It was for our moist chocolate bundt cake. I don't know if you recall what episode that is. Oh, it was in January of our second season because I awarded it a blue ribbon. Oh, well. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) I remember. It's burned in my brain. (laughs) 
look at your memory go, well, I didn't like it because you might recall my verdict was that when I tasted the batter, I thought it tasted like dirt. (laughs) Although the finished product did not taste like dirt. It just tasted like a moist chocolate bundt cake. So, but that kind of turned me off on that particular kind of flour and I haven't really experimented more with it. I agree with you, you know, banana flour, I think that'd be great. And banana bread, that yep. coffee flour, I think, you know, maybe you could make that moist chocolate bundt cake with that coffee yep. flour. I love chocolate and coffee. Yeah, that's a classic. It might be good with banana bread too. Yeah. And the apple. Oh. I mean, how often could that come in handy? Right? I'm really intrigued. I hope that there's people out there experimenting and can weigh in on this. Listeners, one of our... 19 for 19 suggestions that we didn't put on our list, but we have earmarked as a potential month because we're so intrigued by it, is a discussion on alternative flowers. I was just thinking about it in terms of like rye flour and, you know, this sort of more traditional yeah. alternative flowers. Buckwheat. Yeah, exactly. Buckwheat, yeah. And now I feel like, oh my gosh, we have a whole new category to add in there as well. So stay tuned. I have a feeling you will be hearing more from us as well about alternative flowers. Yeah, I think we've had that month theme earmarked in our document for a while. Yeah, flower power. (laughs) It's coming. It is. (laughs) Well, Andrea, we are in our new twists on old classics Month of September, what better way to start than with a new twist on a classic banana bread, a recipe you and I have been making for years, so many of our listeners go to for when you need a quick and delicious bite that might be a bit on the healthier side, helps you use up an ingredient that's languishing in your fruit bowl. This recipe came from Challenge Butter, and it is our cocoa swirled banana bread. It had six steps on the prep of the bananas alone. After that, it was really very much like any other banana bread recipe you've probably come across. Andrea, when we introduced this last week in episode 140, I really wondered, you're not a gal who's usually into that many steps, so I think the payoff's going to have to be really big for you. So I'm very excited to hear if you thought it was and how this bread worked out for you. Well, I really like how carefully and and tactfully you (laughs) point out my lack of desire for enormous prep work, and especially when it comes to banana bread. I mean, come on, people. It's a quick bread for a reason. So yes, this recipe was going to have to knock it out of the park for me to feel like the prep was worth it. Yeah. Let me start by talking a little bit about the prep. So you peel your bananas, you place them in a large sealable plastic bag, and then you mash them. And you do that with five very ripe bananas. Now here, I actually was a step ahead of the game because I am constantly having bananas turn too ripe to eat, and I'm taking them, I break them into small chunks, and I place them in the freezer. Same. So I already had quite a few bags of bananas frozen. So I could skip step one and step two, and what I did was I just started with step three. I pulled a couple of those bags out of the freezer course I wasn't sure how many was five because I I never write on the bag how many bananas are in there I'm going to start doing that from now on okay and I just pulled them out in the evening and I thought okay I'll take a look at them next morning and make sure I have the right amounts let me just say that defrosted bananas are not a pretty thing They're an unpleasant shade of brown. Okay. All right. I I wanted to make sure that wasn't just me. And 
you know, my poor husband was like, what is this? And I was like, oh, I'm making banana bread. And he was <laughs> Isn't quite honestly kind of grossed out by it. And I don't blame him. So I took that thawed banana goo, for lack of a better term, and put it into my fine mesh sieve and put it over a pot on the stove. And the liquid does come through the sieve quite easily. So even if you've never done this before, you know, don't be nervous. It worked out. Yeah. And they give you a guide in the instructions that you should end up with about a cup and a half of pulp and three quarters of a cup of liquid. And then you take that liquid and you Mm -hmm. boil it over medium heat until it's reduced by half. And that is the proportions that I ended up with. I might have had a touch more of pulp, but I decided that was okay. Yeah. Once you've reduced that banana liquid, which I want to say it was, um, again, a bit off-putting because (laughs) sort of a brown scum rose to the top. And I apologize for saying the word scum when Mm -hmm. we're talking about a Mm -hmm. recipe, but I don't know Mm -hmm. how else to describe it. Let's call it what it Mm -hmm. is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I skimmed the scum. There's some alliteration for you. And, Thank you. Mm-hmm, and I and I tossed that out, and I was really kind of grossed out by that. But you know, then I did have this kind of pure banana liquid, and I I poured it through a sieve one more time because I just didn't want any of that brown stuff in there. Okay. And I did have about half of three quarters cup. Yeah. And then you put in three tablespoons of cocoa powder. Right. Mixed in with that banana liquid, and that's unsweetened cocoa powder. So I just used. My regular, I have one from Trader Joe's. Yeah, yeah, excellent. And I just use my Hershey's, which I have stockpiled here for a few cans. So, But you want to make sure that is not cocoa mix. Right, good that point. That it's just pure unsweetened cocoa powder. Yeah. All right, so now that you've got that done, you're back to your regular sort of banana bread <laughs> instructions. Yep. Preheating your oven, buttering your loaf pan. Now, I have a little update on the banana bread loaf pan for you, if you're interested. I'm always interested. Yes, why do you think I started this <laughs> podcast with you? <laughs> you might have to limit me because I have a lot to say about this. One thing that I've noticed is that when I go to bakeries or Starbucks or those sort of places, if I'm buying a treat for myself, one of the things I will often buy is banana bread or pumpkin bread or lemon loaf. Yeah. And it's odd because that's something that's so easy to make at home. Right. One of the reasons I love buying it in the stores is because it's taller and prettier than the one I make at home. Okay. I started thinking, you know, maybe I don't have the right size loaf pan for what I'm looking to do. Okay. This challenge recipe actually lists the dimensions in step eight. So it says an eight and a half by four inch loaf pan. Mm -hmm. I pulled out my banana bread loaf pan. Right. And the regular one that I use is nine and a half by five and a half. It's like the next step up. Yes. Yes. And so I was like, oh, that's why my my banana breads and my loaf breads are often a little bit disappointing to me because they don't have that sort of high rounded crown. Yeah, yeah. You know, they're more long and flat. So I was like, well, no wonder I'm using the wrong size pan. Well, luckily, my next door neighbor is in the process of moving and I have been getting all sorts of gifts from her as she looks at things and decides not to pack them and ship them across the country. Oh, lucky. I know. Yeah. So she had given me a three set of glass Pyrex loaf pans. Mm -hmm. I measured the smallest one. It was seven by four and a half. So that was a little too small. Okay. And then I measured the medium size one and it was eight and a half by four and a half. So just a tiny bit bigger than the recipe called for. Yeah, yeah. That is the one that I used and... 
fast forward in a few minutes when I tell you my result, it, it was a good decision. So you really got the shape that you were looking for. I finally got the shape oh, that you years. would get in a bakery. I know. Imagine that. Measure and follow instructions. <laughs> what a shocker. <laughs> you cream your stick of butter and your two sugars. That's half a cup of regular granulated sugar and a quarter cup of brown sugar until light and fluffy. You beat in two large eggs. And then you have a mixture of your flour, your salt, and your baking soda. And you blend that into your butter-sugar mixture. And you mix that banana pulp into there as well. This is also the stage where you stir in nuts. I always feel like nuts in banana bread are optional. This recipe suggested half a cup of chopped toasted walnuts. Stefan, did you use nuts in yours? You know, the day I was making this, my son had a friend over who is strictly no nuts, so I wasn't going to risk making that while he was in our house, so I left okay. the nuts out. Yeah, I think it's an easy thing to leave out. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the my go-to banana bread recipe does not have nuts either, and that's my family's preference. I do really like nuts in like a brownie or a cookie, so I do enjoy having them in some baked goods, but... I can leave them out of banana bread. It's not a deal breaker for me. I did decide to use the nuts, but instead of walnuts, I used pecans. Yeah. My daughter is just obsessed with those lately. You'll also be proud of me. I even did the extra step of toasting them. Lovely, which is such a good idea always. You know, it just makes those flavors really sing, and it doesn't take that much time. Well, you're preheating the oven anyway, so it wasn't yeah. that much work. Right. So I stirred in the nuts, and then you take about a cup of the batter out and combine it with that cocoa banana liquid mixture. And so then you have a cocoa batter, and you spoon it alternately with the plain batter into your loaf pan, and you swirl the two together using a knife. How did that go for you, Stefan? I like swirling. I think that is a fun thing. <laughs> really? I do. I like to swirl. So, you know, you can start with your plain dough, I guess it is, your batter, and then the chocolate, and then you can kind of dollop it around and then yeah, swirl it around. Your plain batter. Yeah, I think that's just a, a fun thing. I just do it with a butter knife and kind of work from one end to the other and kind of go back and forth like you're downhill skiing it's also fun it's like um, tie-dyeing or what's that craft you do with the oil and the paint and you dip the paper in you kind of never know what you're going to get until you cut it open and that's also nice and the main thing I want to reassure listeners here is you can't do this part wrong right so no no you're gonna get a pretty marble no mm -hmm. matter what don't stress out it's fun you bake your bread for one hour or until done. I set my timer for 50 minutes and I checked it. It was not quite done, so I did cook it for another 10. So I cooked it for the one hour as specified. Yep. You cool it on a rack for 15 minutes before you remove it. The recipe suggests that you allow it to cool completely. I have to be honest, that did not work for me. <laughs> oh, yeah. Hot out of the oven. Would that be hot cake, hot banana bread then, Andrea? <laughs> right out of the oven. I had a slice. And Stefan, I absolutely loved this banana bread. Awesome. I wasn't too surprised because I am a chocolate lover. And I love the flavor combination of chocolate and bananas. Yeah. In fact, it's kind of surprising I've never put chocolate in my banana bread before. I don't know why I haven't. I just never have. So yeah. I just yeah. really yeah. love the flavor combination of these two, especially since I tasted the mixture while I was baking of the banana liquid and the cocoa powder and that was unpleasant so yeah <laughs> it was kind of bland yeah mine was bitter yeah, yeah. you know I obviously it's unsweetened cocoa powder right. which you know is not going to be 
that flavorful, but I thought the banana liquid would make it sweet, and it didn't. So I was really nervous putting it in. But the sweetness of the sugar and the butter and everything overcame that, and it was really so good. My husband loved it. I left it out on the counter. I had to go run an errand or do something, and my daughter was here with a friend. And when I came back, I was down to a third a loaf of the banana bread. <laughs> so they just plowed through it. There were crumbs all over the counter. You know, normally that would annoy me. But instead, I was like, oh, they really liked it. That's awesome. Well, it's so funny in this review because I really feel like we have switched places. Because this was one of the recipes that made me a little irritated. <laughs> oh, I thought this was a very well-written recipe. But maybe what I mean is... It was well-written for my style. I love recipes where each step is a separate separate item. So there's 13 steps. So you're literally only doing one thing per step. And there's not a lot of language. You know, it's just very direct and to the point. Yeah, I had no problem with that. I will agree with you on how it was laid out. And, you know, last episode when we introduced this, I mentioned that I have a go-to banana bread that happens to be a chocolate-swirled banana bread. So it was already going to have to cross a pretty high bar for me. I see. And the addition of these extra steps and the fact that I, like you, sometimes have bananas in the freezer, but we had just come back to London. I had cleaned out my freezer before we left, so had to do all six of those steps. There was a lot of prep with this and a lot of dishes. So, Mm -hmm. you know, you had a saucepan, your plastic freezer bag, a strainer, your mixer, your measuring cups. It was a lot going on on my counter. Oh my gosh, I forgot to tell you, I didn't use my mixer. I think I was a bit overwhelmed by the number of bowls and bags and other things. And I just thought, yeah, no, I'm not doing it. I'm not hauling out an appliance for this. I think, you know, not to be too harsh on this banana bread, I think it was fine. I think it was really pretty. Mine had a really nice texture. It wasn't too sweet, I thought, but I also didn't think it was too chocolatey. And again, this could just be the comparison to my to my go-to recipe. Mm-hmm. Unlike you, though, Andrea, I have an ironclad rule about banana bread or zucchini bread, and that is that I wrap it and let it sit for a day. And I cannot remember where I picked that tip up. I really like how it lets the flavors kind of intensify. It lets the texture get really moist. So I wrapped mine up once it was completely cool and we had it for breakfast the next morning. It's great with peanut butter on top. Again, you know, no real complaints from my family either, other than that they did notice it wasn't their usual cocoa swirled banana bread. Oh, so they could tell the difference. They could. Again, I think it makes a fine loaf of bread. In my household, I will probably reach for my standard that doesn't have yeah. that six-step freeze-thaw process. But but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, that's a really good point. Probably what I'm going to ask you to do then is share your cocoa chocolate banana bread recipe. And that's what I'll make next time. And that way I'll have a comparison. Because again, this was just my first time putting chocolate in my banana bread. So I don't have anything to compare it to. And, you know, you raise a good point, and I'm happy to do that. In fact, folks, I will stick that in the recipes tab section because I have modified the recipe so dramatically from its origins. I think I can safely call it my own at this point. But you raise a good point in that I have made that bread for years and years and years, so I do it a bit on autopilot. Yeah. There is just that comfort in making a recipe like that. Yeah. This recipe probably just didn't stand too much of a fighting chance. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. I do. And I yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure if I hadn't started with that freezer full of bags of bananas, I might have felt the same way. 
Instead, even though it was some extra work, I also had that satisfaction that I was using something from my freezer. And that always feels good to me. Which we love and was a 19 for 19 that we are committed to using up what we have. So that is, it's a win in my book for that reason. Absolutely. On to another twist on an old classic. And at this point, we're talking about just a plain old peanut butter and jelly sandwich. One of my husband's favorite childhood things. (laughs) His birthday is coming up. And so I decided I wanted to do something with peanut butter. Now, there are a ton of peanut butter desserts out there, right? Peanut butter cheesecake and peanut butter cookies and peanut butter bars. And almost all of them have chocolate in them. That's right, because he is not a chocolate guy. He is not a chocolate guy. So it was a lot of work to find a peanut butter dessert that did not include chocolate. Mm, right. And luckily, I stumbled across a food blog called The Sweetest Menu, and food blogger Jess had a peanut butter and jelly poke cake. I was so excited when I found it. This recipe just sort of hit all of my desires. It included peanut butter. It didn't include chocolate. And it's a one-layer cake. It's so funny, Andrea, because we just came off a recipe that I thought seemed very unlike you. And when I read this one, I was like, Andrea chose this. (laughs) (laughs) Straightforward, delicious ingredients, a one-bowl cake, one-layer cake, too. You're a fan of those. I guess it is a one-bowl cake. I didn't even think about that because... You know, the frosting is a separate thing. So in, That's true. In my mind, I counted two bowls there. You're right. Yeah. It still looked very easy. I enjoyed the fact that she has both the weights and the measurements. Love that. Thank you, Jess. Yes. Thank you, Jess. I believe Jess is Australian. Oh, great. Yeah. Well, we have lots of Australian listeners, so that's fantastic. Yes, we do. So what I really, you know, like there is that makes it easy for me if um, and our U.S. listeners if we want to use cups and teaspoons, but it makes it easy for you and our international li- listeners who want to use grams. Right. To be honest, I'm weighing more and more these days just because, I mean, I know I should say the reason is because it's more accurate, <laughs> but the real reason is it requires less cleanup. I hear you. And so I don't have to wash all those tiny little cups and teaspoons and measurements. I mean, it's just so much easier. Yeah. Yeah. I hear you. I love it. I'm a total convert to that as well. In fact, it's gotten to the point where if a recipe doesn't have that, I'm measuring and doing it anyway for Mm -hmm. future bakes or for future cooks so that I'll be able to do it easier in the future. Yeah. 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 Stefan, this recipe I don't think contains any big surprises, but I did want a reminder on some of the ingredients. Um, So pretty traditional here. We've got a stick of unsalted butter, some brown sugar, some smooth peanut butter. Now you are sometimes a bit challenged in finding peanut butter in London. Is that going to be an issue for you? Well, what I'm challenged on is finding my favorite peanut butter, which is Jif peanut butter. (laughs) I can find any kind of peanut butter, no problem, but Jif is harder. But so, no, I have my brand here that I can use without a problem. And Andrea, I might use some Chunky. Oh. I have some Chunky in the cupboard right now. I might use that in either the cake or the frosting for a little extra texture. So we'll see how it weighs in and how much I have of each kind. But I might might come back at you next week with, with that update. I love it. Well, my other thought was if anyone had trouble getting their hands on peanut butter, you could certainly substitute cookie butter here. And you know how I love my cookie butter. (laughs) Delicious. 
and then it's got some vanilla, some eggs, and then uh, a cup of plain flour. Mm-hmm. That's all-purpose flour. All-purpose yeah. flour. Okay, that's what I was yes. thinking. All right, plain flour is all-purpose. Strong flour is whole wheat. Strong flour is like a bread flour. Okay. Yeah. Whole meal is whole wheat. Gosh. You know? <laughs> You've only been there We're going to have it all years. down by the time I come home. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you're going to come home and here I'm going to be in the grocery store like, I need some strong flour. And they're going to be looking at me like I'm nuts. Excuse me, where's my whole meal? Where's the whole meal located? (laughs) (laughs) All right, some baking powder, some milk, and some strawberry jam. I think you could substitute whatever your favorite jam is here. I don't think it has to be strawberry. You're just going for that, you know, peanut butter and jelly sandwich recreation. So go ahead and use whatever you want. Yeah. That's the cake ingredients. Why don't you tell us about the frosting? Yeah, then a really luscious sounding peanut butter frosting is going to top that. And I guess we should mention that once you make the cake and it's still warm, you are poking that and then layering over your strawberry jam. And then after that's soaked in and the cake has cooled completely, you are frosting it. And you've got your usual suspects there with some unsalted butter, your peanut butter, icing or powdered sugar, a little milk to thin it out. And then you're whipping that up till it's nice and creamy and light frosting your cake, and then just kind of pretty dolloping on some additional strawberry jam to swirl over the top. And, you know, we eat with our eyes first, so this is going to be a really nice indication of what's to come when you cut into that. I like I like that frosting. You know, we're doing lots of dolloping and swirling this month. I'm so excited. <laughs> My gosh, marble swirled banana bread. Now a dollop of strawberry jam on our poke cake. We indeed we are. I have given my husband the heads up that he is getting a peanut butter cake for his birthday and he is so excited lovely and yeah so i can't wait to make this listeners i hope that you are going to bake along with us on this one yeah and remember we'll have a link to these recipes that was the cocoa swirled banana bread from challenge dairy and the peanut butter and jelly poke cake from jess and her food blog is the sweetest menu We will put links in the show notes for this episode, and today's episode is episode 141 on our website, preheatedpodcast.com, as well as in our Facebook listeners group. Stefan, you know how much I love fall and back to school time. Yet another thing we have in common. I mean, I haven't been to school in quite a few years, but I still get so excited every year when those back-to-school shopping signs start popping up. Is there anything better than buying new school supplies? No. No, there is not. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this year, our listeners introduced us to another new aspect of going back to school, and that is the care and feeding of kids going off to school, leaving home. Yeah, Andrea, we both have kids who still have a ways to go before we send them off, but that didn't lessen our excitement when we started thinking about this journey. And I know we both love being prepared, perhaps you so a bit more than me. So it's never too soon to start thinking about this. This topic of preparing to send kids off to college came to mind shortly after we received an awesome email from listener Aaron down in Texas. He actually wrote to tell us that corn in a cup, which you talked about in episode 128, uh, or elote as he called it, is quite a popular snack where he lives down in the most southern part of Texas. Thank you so much for educating us, Aaron. We loved getting that email. And I am just amazed, Andrea, you know, from movie theaters in India, which is where I saw corn in a cup originally, to border towns in Texas. It's a small, small world of food. Right? (laughs) 
At the end of Aaron's email, he mentioned that he is headed off to Brown University this fall to start college, and he can't wait to bake recipes from our podcast for his new friends in Rhode Island. Aaron, we are so excited for you. Can you send us some Brown University merchandise? (laughs) (laughs) But that's not where it ended, Andrea, because then listener Heather posted in our Facebook listeners group about the cooking and baking training she was giving her son to prepare him for going away to college. That blackberry blueberry rhubarb pie he made looked so good. Oh, and that was only the beginning. They then moved on to chicken pot pie, chocolate cherry loaf, and Victoria sponge. Victoria sponge? I mean, I didn't even attempt that until episode 49. (laughs) I tell you, kids these days. (laughs) So advanced. It was so much fun reading the replies on her post as people reminisced about their own college cooking adventures. We had everything from bagel bites to zebra popcorn. And a common theme was making do with ingredients that were already laying around. For example, listener Anna said, there's nothing like taking bananas from the cafeteria and making food you will eat. Yes, and Maggie also talked about something important, ways to educate your kids so they can make healthy choices when they're suddenly faced with the option of having donuts or pizza at every meal. Listener Megan went with the classic suggestion of bean burritos and spaghetti and commented that cooking for yourself and your friends is a life skill, which I could not agree with more. And Lauren recommended the book that taught her to cook, College Cooking, Feed Yourself and Your Friends, which, by the way, sounds like a perfect back-to-school present. It does. And speaking of presents, let's talk about care packages. We noticed that many students aren't able to cook in their dorms these days, either due to lack of access or lack of time. Yeah, and that's where you might want to consider sending some treats along to them. But first, find out if your recipient can easily get packages. Some dorms and apartments will accept packages, but others may not. And next, you could consider making some of our sturdier and longer-lasting baked goods. I'm thinking about the life-changing crackers from episode 124 or the zebra popcorn from episode 129, both great snack items that travel well. Although, if you're shipping somewhere hot, you might want to consider leaving the chocolate off of the zebra corn. (laughs) Good point. Or you could just make the caramel churro corn we made way back in episode 8. I just saw an episode of Pioneer Woman called Double Care Package, and she sent her kids the homemade breakfast tarts that we made in episode 125, and also packed in some nut and seed brittle, some salt and pepper crackers, and some cherry gummies. Oh, that's a care package I wouldn't mind receiving. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And, you know, Andrea, any of our quick loaves would do well in the mail from Lemon Drizzle in episode 45 to our seed cake in episode 120. Sturdy breads, great for treats, great for breakfast, dessert, any time of day. And, of course, you cannot forget cookies or bars. So how about the cookie butter blondies we loved from episode 132 or the salted chocolate rye cookies from episode 115? Finally, when it comes time to pack up your goodies, take a cue from the book, The Flying Brownie. This was recommended by listener Kim, and it has all sorts of great suggestions for shipping baked goods. Well, Andrea, we love keeping the Postal Service on both sides of the pond in service. (laughs) Yes, indeed. Listeners, we'd love your suggestions and tips for mailing care packages. Drop us a line at host at preheatedpodcast.com or post in our Facebook listeners group. Well, the timer's buzzed, and we've got to get the icing onto this episode. 
We release new shows every Monday morning, and next week, we'll find out if Andrea's husband was delighted or dismayed by his modern-day birthday cake. Should she have put some corn in it? <laughs> we'll also turn to another preheated dessert favorite, the tea loaf, with a rather interesting ingredient. Finally, we'll talk about the best portable, packable snacks for you or hungry little ones. Thanks so much to Anne-Marie Russell for providing our theme music. You can find more of Anne-Marie's music on iTunes or Amazon or at annemarierussell.com. Listeners, if you'd like to get an email and a link to the full show notes every week when our episode is released, subscribe to our newsletter by visiting our website, preheatedpodcast.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where we're at Preheated Pod. And if you like our show, please tell a friend and subscribe, and consider ranking and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you download our show. Until next time, I'm Stefan Cohn in London. And I'm Andrea Ballard in Olympia, Washington. Thanks for listening, and sweet dreams. is written, hosted, and edited by Andrea Ballard and Stefan Cohn in association with 24th Floor Productions.